what a, a high honor it is to be here, and uh, what a gracious, gracious couple of introductions. Uh, I love these folks. You know, Wood, I've told him this, so I'm not saying this from the stage to gain his favor. I think he may be the finest preacher of our generation. I love to hear John Wood preach. And always have. Uh, I listen to, I mean, there you, you can... Ten times in the last year, there ain't ten sermons he's preached in the last year that I hadn't went back sometime during the work, the week and listened to. But I think this is a higher compliment. I'm not scared at all today, even though he's a great preacher because he's a better brother. He's a better friend. I mean, fan is not a good word, but I mean, John Wood is for me, always has been. You have to be careful what you say around him. He's so generous. If you say the wrong thing, it just shows up at your house. <laughs> I, I love Christ Chapel. I, I've, I've been, I've, I've spoken at Christ Chapel for a long, long time, and I've spoken at many of the Christ Chapels. Uh, I believe today, I believe Kelly's mom was right. Now, this will be probably a simpler message than you're used to hearing. I was in Sunday school. <laughs> Jason is a, uh, whoo, if you, you, you ought to go to his Sunday school class if you're not in a Sunday school class. Very, very, very fantastic and, but articulated in crystal clear way. We, we talked about some deep stuff in Sunday school this morning, but I believe that, uh, I'm kind of a storyteller I believe this is for somebody today. Now, sometimes we preach a message and it's like a shotgun. We just shoot and pellets go everywhere. And they hit several people. But sometimes God designs services for one or just a few. Do y'all believe that God loves us enough sometimes to design an entire Sunday morning for us? I wonder if there's anybody in the, in the crowd today would raise your hand and say, Lee, I've had that happen to me. I've had God ordain, design, and orchestrate a sermon just for me. This is for somebody today, and I want to really want to do good, and sometimes that can be bad. That can be a distraction. More than wanting to do good, I just want to be obedient and led of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray one more time. Dear Jesus, we believe you who you say you are, and we believe that you can do everything you say you can do. Now the world picks and chooses. They hold on to the ones that are beneficial, but they don't believe the ones that are unpopular or awkward to believe. We're saying by faith this morning, we believe your word from cover to cover. Lord, we believe that. Jesus, I believe you touched people who were blind and they could see. I believe you spoke life into the, the, the tomb of your good friend, your earthly friend Lazarus, and he, 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 was, he, he lived again. I believe that you drug a cross beam up a hill and they posted a cross on top of a rock that looks a lot like a skull. And I believe your lungs filled up with blood and you choked to death for us. And I believe days later you came out of 
a borrowed tomb, victorious over death, victorious over hell, and victorious over the grave. And I believe you can meet with us here this morning. Lord, all I ask is you prepare our hearts. Your word is anointed. We don't have to pray for that. Anoint me, Lord, and it is a sacred truth that the same sunshine that hardens red clay melts red wax. So soften our hearts in your name we pray. And everybody said, what do you, what do, you do when you don't know what to do? It, in Georgia, if you come upon a, a, a red light that is not working, you're supposed to treat that red light like a four-way stop. I have seen people navigate clearly through two four-way stops and get to a red light that ain't working and lose their mind. It's the same concept. But when they're in the light where there was a light, it brings confusion. It really does. What do we do when there is no template? What do we do when we face issues and, and there's no way to Google exactly what to do? We, we face these issues now. We have things coming up that we, we don't have a template for. We don't know what to do. Uh, I've lived in central Florida twice. When my dad went to Bible college when I was in the third grade and when I ended up going to Southeastern College. And if you're from central Florida, I'm glad to see that uh, you're in Georgia today. Welcome. I, I hope you won't get mad at this. I don't miss nothing by central Florida. Nothing. Except one thing. And that is March in Central Florida is awesome. If you're a baseball guy, it's awesome. Because half of the Major League Baseball teams come to Central Florida. It's called the Grapefruit League. And they, they have spring training. And when my dad was in Bible college, he would take me to spring training games. And I met heroes from my childhood. I met Johnny Bench. I met Dave Parker. I met Tommy Lasorda. I met all those guys I had watched my whole childhood. And during spring training, they're, they're a lot more laid back. They're a lot more approachable. When I went back after I graduated high school and went back to college there myself, I got an opportunity one day to go to the Philadelphia Phillies training facility, and I met their hitting instructor. And when you meet somebody like that, you kind of want to have a good question or something to say. You just don't want to just be stupid. And the, the year before that, a guy that I always liked to watch play named Mike Schmidt, he was kind of a cool guy. It was kind of like if, uh, if a cowboy played third base. I mean, he just was a cool guy. But he had suffered a tremendous slump. And it took him a long time to get out of that slump. So when I saw the hitting instructor, I said, hey, just curious, how'd y'all get Schmidt out of his slump? And he said, funny you ask, because it's that guy right there is the guy that got him out of it. He said, we tried everything. Now, this is in the 80s. He said, we put him in a booth and videoed his swing and broke it down frame by frame, second by second, to see if there was something he was doing different when he was hitting and when he wasn't hitting. He said, we brought in sports psychologists. He said, it didn't help. Can you imagine what they would do today? This was in the 80s. This was a long time ago. He said, but it was that guy right there. He's our scout in the Midwest. He's retiring this year. 
an elderly, it was a, a, an elderly African-American gentleman. He said, matter of fact, he'd love to tell you the story. Come here. And the guy comes over. I said, how'd you get Schmidt out of his slump? He said, well, I went and bought two barbecue sandwiches and some tater chips and two big old glasses of sweet tea. And we sat down on a picnic table and I asked him one question. Mike, how did you learn how to hit? Now, I don't know how you learned how to hit, if you did learn how to hit, if you played baseball or softball, but I remember distinctly how I learned how to hit. My dad had a bucket, and it had about 40 of these little wiffle golf balls. They're to practice golf with, but you know, they were little, they had holes in them, and I had that long yellow plastic wiffle bat. Do y'all know the one I'm talking about? It's about that big around, light as a feather, hard as a brick. Every man in this room worth his salt has either been pummeled or pummeled somebody you love with that yellow wiffle bat. It's been around a hundred years. It is a great weapon. And he, he would empty that bucket and he would sit on it. And I was five or six. I was just a little goofy kid. And he would soft toss, step and hit, step and hit. And it took me a week to even touch one. And then by the next week, we'd go two or three rounds every night. And I started connecting. And by the third week, I'm hitting them to our little chain link fence in our backyard. You go to the beginning when you don't know what to do. You do what's most important first with excellence. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness then all these things will be added unto you. Do a study on the word things in Matthew 6, 33. He ain't talking about bass boats and lake houses. The things he was talking about is what are we going to eat tonight? We have no food. Where are we going to sleep tonight? There's no place to stay. How are we going to pay our taxes? The things were not additional things. They were uh, crucial things in their life. So let's go to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. What do we do? Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless. Everybody say formless. And empty. Everybody say empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So the earth had a few issues in the beginning that we can identify with that can help us. First of all, it was formless. There, was a, there used to be a stoplight there, and now it ain't working. I mean, it was just chaos. What do we do when our life is chaotic? When a lack of form has led to chaos, led to kind of mass mania. Nobody really knows what to do. We do what's most important first with excellence. We do what's most important first with excellence. I learned this when I was 10 years old. Now, I don't know about y'all, but during the shutdown, did you find yourself watching a lot of stuff on TV? I mean, I did my first marathon during COVID. I did. I know it didn't look like it, but I did. It was a Seinfeld marathon. It took three days, six bags of puffy Cheetos, but I powered through it. But I find myself just trying to find something to watch. The only thing I stumbled upon in all that time that stuck with me 
is on ESPN's called the X Games. That stands for extreme sports. And my favorite extreme sport were these little motorcycles. So these guys would take aluminum aircraft alloy and NASA-designed Kevlar and put it in a jet engine. It was lightweight, it was fast, and they would jump. They'd do these horseshoe jumps. Shoo! Go up and spin three times. And it reminded me of a guy from our youth, our childhood. He didn't have a Kevlar aluminum alloy NASA-designed motorcycle. He had a street Harley Davidson. And he just knocked everything he could possibly knock off, he knocked off. He painted it red, white, and blue. And he found him a leather suit. And he had a red, white, and blue with stars helmet on. And he even had a cape. And he started jumping stuff with that Harley Davidson. His name was Evil Knievel. Many of you men have went around your neighborhood as children and found blocks and bricks and scrap lumber and made your own ramp. And if you were extreme, you got one of your mama's old towels and pinned it on your shirt so that just like Evil Knievel, we could have a cape and look back and see if it was flowing when we jumped the round. Evil Knievel. So when I'm 10 years old, he declares that in two months he's going to jump 13 Greyhound buses in Wembley, England. It's all we talked about for two months. Now for the young people in here today, the students, the kids, the younger people, the younger adults, I am not the guy that comes and talks about participation trophies and skinny jeans. I don't, that's crazy. But I do want to give you perspective this morning. So go with me. You have to understand that when I was 10 years old, there were only three television stations. Three. And let me tell you, when you went and bought a new Curtis Mathis television, it did not come with a remote control. We were the remote controls. Raise your hand if you were the designated remote control at your house. Has anybody here besides me ever been called from the outside of the house to come to the inside of the house to change a channel for your daddy? All right, let me ask you this. How many of you broke the handle on the TV and had some vice grips? Changing channels with vice grips. Raise your hand. Ah, oh, hallelujah. Has anybody in here ever put tin foil on a rabbit ear? Oh, I see that hand. I see that hand. Now let's see who was really committed. Has anybody in here ever got up on the roof and adjusted the outside antenna and your dad is down there saying, keep turning, it's still fuzzy. And there was no way to record live TV. No way. There were no DVR, no VCR, no whatever they got now, nothing. If you missed it, you'd never see it again <laughs> till they invent YouTube in 40 years. So when something big was happening live on TV, you were there to watch it. And we were there that day on the ABC Wide World of Sports when Evil Knievel was going to jump 13 Greyhound buses 168 feet. We were there. My mom even made snacks. <laughs> Y'all remember them flour cookies? 
You know what I'm talking about? You could get about 300 of them for 79 cents. Y'all remember them? Hard as King Kong's kneecap and tasted like wood glue. They were terrible. But they were cheap, weren't they? You ever put one on your pinky and just eat it right? Yeah. And some red Kool-Aid. We had snacks. And if you ever watched No Evil Knievel, he would come down first on a little trick bike, do some donuts, ride some wheelies. And then he'd come down just to drive us insane. He'd test the ramp like 10 times. Well, he's back up. They built the ramp way up into the stadium and he's way back up there in one of those tunnels. And Frank Gifford, an NFL Hall of Famer, in his mustard yellow ABC Wide World of Sports blazer with 13 million people watching live ask Evil Knievel three questions. And the answer to question number three is what we do. What do we do when we don't know what to do? Question number one, how fast you got to be going, Evil, to clear 13 buses? Evil Knievel said, I don't know, Frank. We ain't got no speedometer on the motorcycle. I'm just going fast as I can. It embarrassed Gifford a little bit. It was a dumb question. He should have known better. Question number two. He said, I noticed you kind of pull up on the front tire about halfway through the jump. How do you know when to do that? He said, I don't know, Frank. He said, ain't like I got time to count buses. I just pull up when I think I need to pull up. Gifford's humiliated. 13 million people watching live. But I'll give him this. He rallied on question number three. He rallied on question number three. He said, what's the last thing you're thinking when you go down that ramp? If I live to be 100, I'll never forget what he said. He said, we take a tape measure, and we pull to the exact center of the ramp, and we take two pieces of duct tape, and I make an X. And he said, when I drive down that ramp, I'm not thinking how fast I'm going, when to pull up on the front tire. Only thing I'm thinking is drive that tire through the X. Because if I miss it this far on the launch ramp, I'll miss the entire landing ramp. Now, Evil Knievel had a duct tape X, but me and you have the cross of Jesus Christ. And we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And if you don't know what to do, my greatest advice scripturally to you is don't do nothing. Until he tells you what to do, but till he tells you distinctly what to do, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Cast off the things that weigh you down. Dodge the things that trip you up. Fix your eyes. Run in your lane. And never, 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 never consider quitting. Do what's most important first with excellence. What do we do when our life is empty? Because our lives get empty if we're honest. Our lives get empty. We, we, we find ourselves doing things out of diligence and discipline. We kind of can lose our joy if we ain't careful. What do we do? <clears throat> you go back to where you quit being grateful and you start being grateful there again. Little things. Are you grateful for little things? Every night, every time I sleep, in the bed of my wife, and we've been married 35 years. Every morning I get up, whether she's got to go to work or not, I get up before her. I wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, ready to go. 6 o'clock in the morning is the best hour of my life, most productive. Some of y'all 
don't need to talk to Jesus or nobody at six o'clock in the morning. But at nine o'clock at night, I start melting like a popsicle. I fall asleep at wherever I am, wherever I'm sitting. But every morning I get out of that bed, when she feels me roll over, she reaches and scratches my back just for about 10 seconds and tells me she loves me. The day that I quit being grateful for that back scratch is the day my marriage starts to suffer to some degree. Grateful. God has blessed you. It is embarrassing how good God is to us. Why are we not grateful for the little things? Why are we not grateful for the little thing? And the minute you quit being genuinely grateful, your life starts becoming empty. <clears throat> not too long ago, I did a men's prayer breakfast in the Okefenokee Swamp. I get there. These men been camping for three days. It's, they smelt like one of Satan's hemorrhoids. They were tired. I was the last speaker. Would have tell you, it ain't no fun being the third verse in a, in a hymn or the last guy to speak at a conference. <coughs> and there, there were no women involved in the meal. Guys, plan your own meals, but run it by some women. I did a spaghetti supper not long ago for some dudes. This is a truth, hand for the Lord. They didn't bring no forks. We eating spaghetti with spoons. That'd have never happened in a million years if they'd have just run it by one lady. Spaghetti with a spoon, come on. And I could tell they didn't have enough food. Ain't nothing worse than being the speaker in an event where they run out of food. So I could tell they didn't have enough, so I, I didn't eat. I wasn't going to have nobody saying, well, he sure got him some bacon this morning. And they ran out. And I spoke, I actually was coming not too far from here, not too far from making that day at lunch to do an FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes fundraiser. And I didn't have time to eat. Now I'm just bolting to try to get up here on time. And we all know one thing COVID did kill, no matter how you feel about COVID mask or anything, is the drive-thru window at the fast food joint. It slaughtered it. They're gone. So I knew I didn't have time to stop. And I come through this little town called McCray, Georgia. And I start going around this little square in McCray. And on the corner, there's a guy over there got two tables, a little tent. And there are two words that bring joy to my heart. He's got written, boiled peanuts the caviar of the deep south. I said, I don't got time to go through no drive-through, but I could swing over there. I pulled over, I didn't even get out of the truck. Hey, buddy, how much for them big cups of peanuts? Five dollars. I said, give me two. I said, man, if you had something to drink you could sell me, you'd save me 10 minutes. He said, well, I'm fixing to go. I done sold out. He said, I'm not even cooking anymore. I got a few left. He said, but I got two drinks in this little refrigerator. I'll sell you a dollar piece. So what is it? He said, now before I sell it to you, I'm going to tell you, my little refrigerator's messed up and it freezes. He said, there's ice crystals in it. I said, what is it? He said, a great knee high. 
I said, dear Jesus, you still love me. <laughs> Y'all, if I was on death row and they go shoot me tomorrow and the warden come by the night before, big boy, what you want your last meal to be? Boiled peanuts and two grape knee highs. I wept on the way to the next fundraiser. Let us not be guilty of thanking God for the little blessings in our life. He loves you. Isn't he a great provider? Hadn't he provided for you? Oh, hallelujah. Look at this beautiful campus. There ain't a church campus like this in the world. Hadn't God been good to Christ Chapel Sports Town? And when we battle darkness. Now, me and Woody was preachers during the 90s. So we know about darkness. We pierced the darkness. We watched videos about the darkness. I'm not belittling the darkness. And I'll be honest with you, hand to God. I'm glad I read them books and watched those videos. But I came to a conclusion about the darkness. I'm not belittling your darkness. But I'll tell you one thing that is un defeated against darkness light and Jesus Christ is the light of this world you say Lee you saying I could come down here in one altar call and just surrender this I, I don't know whether it's going to be one time or a process I remember Jesus touching a guy one time can you see yeah I see but it's like men look like trees walking around and Jesus touched him again wasn't nothing wrong with Jesus' healing power that day, I promise you that. I don't know what it's going to take for you, but here's what I am telling you today. No matter how long you've been in the darkness, no matter how dark it is, no matter how bad it gets, the first thing you need to do is run to the light of Jesus Christ. Light defeats darkness. A little bit of light defeats a lot of darkness. One itty bitty tiny light. I went deep sea fishing one time. If you're ever going deep sea fishing and you call the captain the night before and he says, yeah, we're going to have some chop. It's going to be three to five feet. That means eight to ten feet chop. And if you go back and study the Greek and the Hebrew, what he's really saying is, I'd rather have all your money than just your deposit. So I got on this boat, and I'm looking over the side after we go just about 100 yards to see if it says the deadliest catch on it. This is what we're doing. Blam! Blam! People are throwing up, crying. I'm hugged up to a pole. I never touched a fishing pole. I don't even know where the bait was. I'm just hoping we survive. I said, Lord, long as they get Captain D's, I'm not letting go of this pole. <laughs> much less, they're harder to find, but much less, even the more anointed, the long John Silver. You know what I'm saying? I'm good. Them crunchies. Come on now. Them crunchies at long John Silver. The captain told me this story. He said, a few weeks ago, we were out here. I had a group that limited before 9 o'clock and they wanted to go again. I didn't have another morning the week they were down here, so I told them if you'll come back in a couple days, we'll go out in the afternoon. They met at 3 o'clock, went out in the afternoon, limited again. 
They're getting ready to come back. Nothing electronic works on the boat. Nothing. He used his backup batteries to get them out there that evening because he doesn't usually fish in the afternoon. In the Gulf of Mexico, pitch black dark with nothing. Phones don't work. They got one flare. Thought they saw a boat, shot the flare, nothing. Midnight. He asked guys on the boat, now them people that brought y'all and dropped you off, they love you, don't they? Y'all, what kind of question is that? You floating in the Gulf of Mexico and they, he said, well, they'll, they'll look for us. They'll find us. All of a sudden they hear a helicopter. It's a little wide of them. They're waving, screaming, waving their shirt, jumping jacks. Can't see them. Black dark. Went out, swung wide, come back. One of them boys there from Ufall, Alabama. One of them boys remembered he had one of them miniature big gliders. And he used it like to burn line. You ever have too much line and if you don't want to bite it off with your teeth, you can burn it. He, he burnt line with it. It was rusty. He ain't struck it in a year. It was that big. Against the Gulf of Mexico at midnight, he tried to get the thing. Finally got it struck. He said it struck about big as your pinky nail. That guy's waving that thing. The helicopter keeps going. Five minutes later, Coast Guard pulls up in a boat. How in the world did you find us? He said, the guy riding with the guy in the helicopter thought he saw a little flicker of light. So then he put his infrared on, his night vision, saw you, gave us coordinates. Here we are. A big lighter versus the Gulf of Mexico at midnight. Come on. Jesus Christ is your hope. He's where you start to get out of your darkness. It may happen right here in one prayer. It may be a process. You just keep fixing your eyes on him. But those are three pretty good preaching points, but none of them are my favorite. Here's my favorite. But the Spirit of God was hovering. So I'm a granddaddy. I don't know if you know that. I got two beautiful granddaughters. I have a four-year-old named Layton. I call her Smooch. I talk to her every day. She FaceTimed me this morning. She spent the night at Lolly's. That's my wife. I'm Pop and she's Lolly. I know that's silly. I didn't come up with it, but I ain't worried about it. I wanted to be Big Daddy. And I have a seven-month-old, little Sophia. My daughter-in-law is 50% Puerto Rican. So Sophia is my little Puerto Rican. Can you say amen? <laughs> so when you're a parent, you kind of forget things. Like, I don't remember teaching my kids how to walk. I'm sure I was there when they learned how to walk. I don't remember none of it. <laughs> I don't know if they taught them while they was at school. I have no idea. They just learned how to walk. I don't remember it. But when you're a grandparent now, oh, no, we don't miss nothing. So Layton is about one and gets in that walker, and I forgot how fast they can get around in them walkers when they're on a hard surface. They can fly, can't they? I heard her catch second gear one time in the hall. Skirt! I mean, they can fly in them thing. 
So me and Leighton had this thing when everybody left and she was with me. I'd put on VeggieTales on the big screen TV and crank the volume up. It was one of them singing VeggieTales. I, our, our floor in our living room is stained concrete. I moved a coffee table, the throw rug, and it's like we was running NASCAR at Bristol. I mean, I'm breaking a sweat. We're just spinning, circling, rolling. She's having the time of her life. We've worked up a sweat. Well, before Wendy got home, I knew I had to have that throw rug and that coffee table back where it was supposed to be. She comes home. She walked in two seconds. Did you move the rug? How would you know that? She said, because you moved the liner under the rug, and I had it glued down in the corners. <laughs> so I know where to put the rug back. She said, you can do it next time, but don't move the liner. Yes, ma'am. Boy, they leave us alone. I move that coffee table, move that throw rug. I leave the liner. Me and Ladybug are having a blast. But every once in a while, every once in a while, the wheels on that walker would hit that liner. She'd back up, try to build momentum. Couldn't do it. She even reminded, I thought, I know that she is genetically, I'm, I'm a part of her genetics because I watched her try to pick up the walker she was sitting in and ease it over the edge. She could not overcome it. She tried. I let her try. But what she could not do, Pop was hovering. What she could not do, I could pick her up, Walker and all, in less than one second, set her the other side of that hurdle, and it's let it rip, tater chip. <laughs> Stand with me this morning. I don't know what you're going through, and I don't know why you're going through it, but here's what I do know. The Spirit of God is hovering over you, and what we cannot do, He can do. In one second, do you believe that, church? If you believe that, would you say amen this morning? Amen this morning? I want to pray with you if you're here today. I don't, I don't want you to leave here with a burden. I don't want you to leave here in the dark. I don't want you to leave here with your life empty. There's a few folks that are going to come help me pray. If you're on the prayer team, you have Pastor John's blessing to help pray with people in the altar. Would some of you go ahead and come and just put your back to the stage and face the audience? Some folks to help me pray this morning. Would you come, prayer workers? Yeah, thank you so much. We need a few ladies. We need some ladies to come and help us. Praise you, Jesus. Man, we want to pray with you. We ain't going to even close our eyes today. We're just going to give you a minute. And if you want to come, you can come. And you see, Lee, all that sounds good. I mean, I never thought I was going to come to church and hear a sermon about evil Knievel, boiled peanuts, and deep sea fishing. But you, you can't take me to the spot or the day or the time when you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You say, Lee, I love the church. I love God. And I know the words to the songs. All, all those things are great. But if you can't tell me about the time where you asked Christ to take over your life, that's the first thing you need to do. And we do what's first, what's most important first with excellence, don't we? My brother's going to play through something. I'm going to say a prayer. And at the end of this short little prayer, if you need prayer, come. 
We want to pray with you today. Ain't no need in you going home in the dark. Woody didn't invite me until 11 o'clock Friday night to be here. I'm so thrilled to be here. But none of this caught God off guard. This is for you today. If your life is empty, dark, or chaotic. Lord, just give us the strength and the courage it takes to obey you. Lord, I thank you for this great church. Lord, I'm asking that you, I'm not trying to talk anybody into anything. Because Lord, the truth is, if I talk them into it, somebody will talk them out of it. But if the Holy Spirit is tugging on somebody's heart today, if there is somebody whose life's a little dark, if there is somebody that needs some help from you, if there is somebody that needs to picture that and remember that you're hovering over their life when they need help, I pray they'll come and we can pray. Lord, we'll be so quick to give you praise and glory. Lord, we'll be so quick to give you all the thanks. So Lord, help us today. Guide us. In your precious name we pray. And everybody said, if you need prayer, just come on. Just come on. We're here waiting on you. Saints, would you just be seated and pray for those standing in the altar? Just a few more minutes this morning. Even if you don't know them, Lord, the lady with the blue jacket, I just lift her up today and I pray for her.
You remember how we talked about last week that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you having all sufficiency in all things might abound to every good work. Abounding grace. Divine grace. Specific grace. Sufficient grace. Abundant grace. That's available for us. Aren't you grateful for that word this morning? I just... I'm thank, thank you guys so much. I, I'm grateful that in the body of Christ, there are all different types of ministries and giftings. Um, Lee has a way of taking profoundly complex things and making them profoundly simple. Uh, I, I felt like, um, for me, just hit the X, baby, no matter what you're doing. Amen. Thank you so much, Joseph. I, I want to do something. I want to call an audible, if you will. Um, I just feel like it's a, a good thing to do for us. Uh, we're almost always out right at 1130. Does anybody else find in, in this day and age that laughter worketh like a merry medicine? Okay. I told Lee, I done fed him breakfast and we're going to take an offering for him on the way out. If you want to give to him, just write uh, Lee on the bottom left-hand corner, but he got to work for this. So I, I asked him, and, and if you have to go, I understand, but you're not going to want to miss this. How many of you want to stay and laugh with me about seven minutes? You want to do that, Lee? Come on. So people ask me all the time, in school assemblies, how, how do you still do school assemblies at 57? I did a couple last week over in Vincent, Alabama. This is my go-to story of all time. It is a true story, and no matter how old you are, it seems to register. So when I was in the third grade, I'm not saying we were wealthy. My dad was a co-owner in two auto parts stores in Columbus, Georgia, and one in Phoenix City, Alabama called McBride's Auto Parts. But people used to spend the night with us just because of our pantry. We had every snack food known to mankind. We even had Fig Newtons. I mean, who likes Fig Newtons? Everybody, six people in here like Fig Newtons. But I mean, what are they compared to a nutty buddy? Huh? We had Fig Newtons. We had all these, everything. I was the first kid in my neighborhood to have a pair of Nike tennis shoes. Kids didn't even know how to say Nike. Nikki, where'd you get those? Because, I mean, tennis shoes have gone, come a long way, but when we were kids, you just had three choices. You had some old Converse All-Stars, some old Chucks. Chucky e. Taylors have stood the test of time just like the yellow wiffle bat. Or you had a pair of old black or red kids. Or you had tennis shoes didn't have no name on them. We called them buddies. If your mama bought your tennis shoes at the grocery store and they were hanging on a string and there wasn't no box involved, them were buddies. And you fix to get janked out if you show up to school and some buddies. We had a song about buddies in our neighborhood. It went like this, buddies, they make your feet feel fine. Buddies, your mama bought them for a dollar forty-nine. <laughs> them no-name shoes. We moved to Lakeland, Florida, and our life changes. Now, before Lakeland and Columbus, they started off every morning with frosted flakes. Me and old Tony the Tiger. 
We get down to Florida, I'm still eating Frosted Flakes, but it's just a yellow box. Got two black words on it. Frosted, I'm like, where'd Tony go? He don't like Florida? What's up? We eat generics. I'm talking about we were poor when my dad was in Bible college. We went to Kentucky Fried Chicken to lick other people's fingers. I'm talking about we was dying. When we moved down there, there was a boy a couple houses down from me who put the word out that if he caught me outside my house, he was going to whoop me. Now, I'd like to tell you a heroic tale of how I put the theme to Rocky in my ears, tied my ankle weights on. Y'all remember ankle weights? Do they still even have those? They probably hire tech. This was just two sandbags with a leather strap stitched to it. And jogged and got ready and, and came back and, and faced the bully. That ain't what I did. And he was a bully. Now I want to go on record this morning in this church. I ain't for any kind of bullying. Period. None. Not social media. Not talking. Not saying bad. None. I'm against it 100%. Don't like it. But this was a physical bully. I mean, this guy said he's going to hold my head down in an ant bed. He's mean. This is the kind of guy who hit you with stuff just to just cause and I was scared to death of him he really wasn't any bigger than me but he was a couple years older than me well I just began to dodge him anybody ever seen that Andy Griffith where that guy tells Barney once I catch you out your uniform I'm going to wear you out and Barney just wears his uniform everywhere <laughs> shower bed that's how I felt but one day I wasn't paying attention. I'm pretty sure when I was little they didn't know what it was, but I had that ADD. I had an F in science too. But I mean, I walked out the front door. I wasn't paying attention. And the old boy made a tactical error. He made a bad mistake. He said something about my mama. Now I know y'all jank on each other's mamas. Now there was even a show on MTV about janking on each other's mama. Leave my mama out of it. My mama... Bear Bryant and Earnhardt, leave them three out of it. Or one of us going to get skinned up. When he said something about my mama, the fear left my body and tears of rage came and I loaded up and swung hard as I could and missed his whole head. He just took my momentum and put me face down in the front yard, got on my back and is beating me to death. I can still hear the sound effects. My head just bouncing off the yard. I looked up, the whole neighborhood's watching. I remember thinking, man, I hope he gets tired in a minute. This is embarrassing. All of a sudden, I hear a noise. I ain't never heard nothing like it before or since. A hollow, metallic noise that is coming from a distance and it is quickly building momentum. All of a sudden, loo, he flies off of me. I turn around and look. My six-year-old brother hit him in the head with a pogo stick. <laughs> we went Monday night nitro on that boy. We're giving him the people's elbow. We beat him like a rented mule. Now there's a scripture that says, Jesus is a friend 
that sticks closer than a brother. I do not make light of the scripture. I've dedicated my life to try to rightly divide God's scripture. But God does take life lessons and teach us spiritual truths. So if you were here this morning, maybe you were here spiritually where I was physically. Doom, doom. No enemies, you just hope he'll quit. I want to say to you, Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's got a pogo stick. He will knock the devil off you. Love you people. God bless you. Thank you so much.